You are Locked On Indians, your daily Cleveland Indians podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello and welcome to the latest edition of Locked On Indians. If you listen to Monday's show, we started out trying to figure out the all-time bullpen, kind of that last piece for our all-time Indians team that we've been putting together. The obvious choice, of course, being Cody Allen, the all-time leader in saves, was kind of given a free pass and put onto the team. Uh, Doug Jones, arguably, maybe the greatest reliever in terms of statistical production over multiple years the Indians have had. Uh, really an underrated overall reliever. Jose Mesa's peak excellence um, in that 95 season just can't be ignored. His 97 season was actually really strong as well. Uh, he is fifth all-times in saves, if you are curious. Sixth all-time, Mike Jackson. Mike Jackson is kind of interesting just because it was such a short run, but again, peak brilliance for him really stands out. Um, he is, you know, sixth all-time in Indian saves, but he only pitched three years in Cleveland, and the final year wasn't really all that... It wasn't terrible, but it was definitely a down year for him a little bit compared to the previous years. But it was just a three-year run. You know, that's probably good enough to make it because at the end of the day when we talked about the only other guy in the top five who I'm not putting in the pen we'll get to Bob Wickman in a second uh Chris Perez because my problem with Perez is a 4.7 overall war over you know seven years is not great I know relievers typically don't post high values but in a lot of his he only had two years above one and yes he made an all-star team twice his 2010 season was brilliant uh Weirdly, that is not one of his all-star years. He's an all-star in 2011 when he was above average. Uh, and 2012, an all-star again when he was more average. Uh, the wheels kind of fell off after that, and he was out of baseball quickly. So I just can't put Perez in there, because unlike a Mesa, where there's like two seasons of brilliance, and one of them is like the single greatest season I've ever seen a reliever produce, uh, Perez had one awesome season, and then above average where Mesa had uh two awesome seasons and two really good I mean his his season three and four are better than anything um, Perez had outside of his season one so that's why Jose Mesa has to make that in and Perez is out so let's get into these other names so if you're going through the list um you know we talked about that it is it is a list of luminaries. Go back and listen to Monday's podcast to hear more about that. But let's talk about some of the names I didn't talk about who were relievers for most of their careers who still made the Indians all-time list in terms of war. Uh, it's, it's an accomplishment in and of itself because war is not a stat uh, that benefits relievers. We don't see them get as much value. They're not uh, given high values typically through it because of its limited innings for them to produce in. And the first guy we have to talk about from that group is Guy Morton, pitched for the Cleveland Indians from 1914 until 1924, uh, age 21 through age 31, uh, appeared in 317 games, 185 of them as a starter. So he's the rare player where, yes, more than half of his games are still as a start, as a starter, but in that era that he he actually worked out of the pen a significant amount. During those 11 years, he racked up a war of 16, which is good enough to get him in the Indians' all-time top 50. Uh, a right-hander for the the team back in the uh, the 20s, or I'm sorry, in the teens into the 20s. Not enough there to get him on the list, but we do have to give uh, mention for him for that. And then the other player I think who we do have to debate is Steve Gromek. Uh, now he 
appeared for the Indians for the first time at age 21 in 1941, and he would stay with the Indians until 1953. He would go to Detroit after that, and his only top 25 MVP finish would actually come with Detroit. Uh, The only categories he ever led the league in were home runs given up, which was in 54 and 55 with Detroit, and uh, hit hit batters, which was, again, in 54 with Detroit. Uh, He did once lead the league in lowest walk rate in 55 with Detroit and lowest hit rate in 44 with the Indians. The funny thing is that year that he led the league and hit batters and home runs is the year that he finished 26th in the MVP and the only time he had like that top 30 finish. Uh, he did win 18 games, which was enough and had a 274 ERA. Uh, one of those guys where you can definitely tell he was very lucky for that entire season when you really d- dig into those numbers. But Gromek, in his time in Cleveland, his 13 years, 309 games, 137 of them starting. Now this stands out because... That means we're running into this rare situation where we have a pitcher who actually did not start half of his games. Less than 50% of his starts uh, for the Indians, or I should say appearances, were starts. And you go through and you look at some of these seasons, and as we're digging in, uh, 44, he was mostly a starter, and that was a very strong season. Same deal in 45, uh, again a starter, and had a strong season for them. 46, it's it's kind of the same story, but then after 46, we see the starts fall off. This is his age 27 year down. Now that 47 year is not great, but 48, uh, 130 innings, 284 ERA, uh, 144 ERA plus, a 420 FIP. His FIP was never kind to him. <laughs> Let's just get that out of the way. Uh, in 49, the, a 120 ERA plus. In 50, a 118. In 51, a 138. Now, he was not someone who racked up saves. He only had 23 over the course of his career. But every one of those years I mentioned in the 50s, he was, yeah, he'd occasionally, like 53, he had quite a few, but, you know, the, the, that was not one of his strong years. When you look at that 51 through 48 season, which was kind of the best of him, he was mostly working in the pen, mixing in a few starts. Uh, career war of 25.1. So that's it's a... That's a pretty high value. His uh, his time in Cleveland was actually just a a 14.3. Guy Morton, who we talked about a moment ago, was a 19.1 for his time in Cleveland, which is odd because then his overall on the other one is 16. So there's some adding error somewhere. I don't know if either of them can quite make it. You know, when you look at Gromek, there's some stuff to back it up. Uh, Morton, if you're curious, is 25th all time in WAR, and Gromek is 32nd. But can we have? three spots to go and we'll you know let's get into the guys who are in the top 10 ish range for saves uh we still have to talk about number two number seven number eight number nine number 10 and there's two tied for 10 uh and just a quick shout out to gary bell who actually had some really interesting numbers as a starter early on before not exactly coming together for him but he's tied for 12 but let's get into the names uh we'll have a quick sponsor break and we will head in and talk about those you know last four few people to talk about for those three spots so i already told you about built bar uh they sent us a free sample platter of platter container of bars and again i'm going to just say from the beginning toffee is my favorite Uh, i highly recommend that it really stood kind for me heads and shoulders above the crowd i've already eaten the box it's all gone i am going to take advantage of the deal we have to get more because I do. I'm not. I'm one of those people who's not super hungry in the morning. But if I don't eat, I feel nauseous. 
so I have to eat and I have to find something I can eat because I have a issue where if I have gluten I get very ill and these bars are gluten free and what's just nice for me is they are super moist so it's this nice moist gluten free bar that I, I feel like so many of the protein bars I buy it is like okay I need water next to me to help digest this thing that is not the case with Built Bar. That is one of the things that really stood out and made them a company that I'm going to uh, revisit before this. Like I have the, the last Quest bars were my favorite before this. That was the best I had found. And it's still like a brick. So this is truly something unlike anything I've tried before. Uh, I can't recommend it enough. That's all I can say. They sent us a sample. I'm always like, okay, let's see. But I, I legitimately like them. I think they're legitimately good. Uh, like here's the flavor profile for the mint brownie 15 grams of protein 110 calories 4 grams of sugar 5 grams net carbs uh, here's the flavor profile for the peanut butter brownie 20 grams protein 170 calories 3 grams of sugar 3 grams net carbs I think they're great and the other nice thing high fiber I was kind of I, I, I was like wow look at all the fiber in here uh, just because I'm you know hitting 40 and all of a sudden I find myself looking at things like fiber more and more so Bilt Bar I like it. I'm getting more. You should get more. The offer I'm going to use, and you have a chance to use, is go to BuiltBar.com, B-U-I-L-T-B-A-R.com. Use the promo code Locked On. You get $10 off your first uh, order. Use the promo code Locked On for $10 off at BuiltBar.com. Again, I'm using it. You should too. Postmates is our other sponsor for the day. In our times of social distancing, Postmates brings you what you want when you need it, and you don't have to go out and worry about the crowds. They drop it off at your door. If you need to go to the grocery store, if you need to go to the, the pharmacy, if you need to get some fast food, I mean, if you need a restaurant that does takeout, not necessarily fast food, if you want to get something a little better than you know your traditional fast food, and this might be something you want to take advantage of even more now as we see that there are starting to be some places with some issues with beef and things. At least here in Milwaukee, we're seeing price raises and places closed. So there might be a time where you are looking for something and Postmates is going to bring it to you. So their whole deal is 24 hours a day, seven days a week, Postmates. So whatever you need, whenever you need it, Postmates. And the way we are helping you out is right now you're going to download the app for Postmates. doesn't matter if you get it on iOS or Android. You download that app. Use the promo code Locked On, all one word, and that code is going to ensure you $100 of free delivery credit for the first seven days. So this is your chance. You can try it out. You can go crazy, and you don't have to worry about that delivery charge. That is on us. You're going to go use the app and enter that promo code Locked On to get the hundred dollars of free delivery credit for your first seven days postmates.com okay so let's talk about the other players who are in the kind of high on this indians all-time saves list let's start with the guy who's number two who i kind of skipped over and that's bob wickman now if we ignore how wickman came to the indians which is one of those things i to this day I'm still man how many bad trades could the indians make with the uh the milwaukee brewers but I think sometimes we forget that Wickman came over as part of that attempt to save um, what was a struggling 2000 Indians team who were trying to make the playoffs and couldn't quite get in. Uh, they need pitching, so they got Wickman, Jason Beret, and Steve Woodward, who I was always like, he had a. I always I kept, he's one of those guys I kept expecting to break out and it just never happened. Um, the Indians sent Kane Davis and Paul Rigdon. Rigdon was one of those guys I thought was always going to work as a fifth. That never happened. Uh, just going through the classic blunders and uh, early Jeff scouting. 
and then Richie Sexton, who is the, of course, the hurt in this deal. The other interesting thing is they sent Marco Scutaro later on to complete the deal, who later turned into a really good middle infielder for multiple teams. Uh, he was actually a good friend. I remember this story at the time of Bartolo Colon. So they did like this thing where they kind of uh, annoyed their star pitcher by trading away his best friend. Like there were stories I remember of Cologne being in um, in AAA or in AA Akron to see him play. Like he would go down and watch his friend play, even though he was in Cleveland if he had an off day. So just kind of another interesting little foible of why that was not a grand deal in the grand scheme of things. The only thing that made it worthwhile, Bob Wickman. Now, Wickman did not look like a major league player. Uh, he was always a bit of a, a barrel-chested, but he came to Cleveland, and you just go through the numbers. That 2000 season with the Indians, I mean, it was a 148 OPS, or OPS, so that had been interesting, ERA plus a 338 uh, ERA. He saved 14 games for the Indians. Next year, he would save 32. The year after that, 20. 2003, he misses the entire year. Comes back in 2004 and is closer to average. 2005, though, is his best year. And that's kind of the where you get some of the value in here for the Indians. He makes an all-star team. He gets a top 30 MVP finish in 2005. Leads the league with 45 saves, 247 ERA, 170 uh, one ERA plus. And then 2006, uh, he str- the Indians, he struggles a little bit out of the gate in 28 innings. The Indians trade him to Atlanta, where he is phenomenal uh, over 28 games for them. Uh, I mean, utterly phenomenal. So the Indians trade him away uh, and get virtually nothing. That's right. I had forgotten. It was Max Ramirez. I was pretty high on Max Ramirez as a catcher. Um I was very disappointed when we later traded him for another player. Uh, I can't remember who that was now, but he was like a, a top power hitting catching prospect, someone who really intrigued me because, you know, I'm the person who reads the um, all the prospect stuff at the time. Uh, and, yeah, that's right. We eventually traded him for Kenny Lofton and when he came back to Cleveland. So good old Max Ramirez. But Wickman, what we see with him is – longevity relative to a reliever in Cleveland. Basically, the, the downside is, you know, the missed 2003 season, and then 2002 and 2004 around it were not good. But 2000, 2001, uh, 2005, and then part of 2006 are all pretty solid for him. And he was a compiler. It was never comfortable. It was never something you felt for sure the Indians were going to win this matchup. But he got the job done more often than not, enough to that when he retired, he was the Indians' all-time uh, saves king. I think based on you know the performance and what we've seen, he's a guy where there's enough good and enough high-end where like his worst season, uh, you know, I'm using ERA plus kind of like a FIP or not a FIP, a, uh, a WRC plus where you know it's it's not exactly like that, but it's a nice shorthand where it's like his worst season though puts him just about average for a reliever. He was a reliable reliever. Uh, so I think Wickman at least gets a strong amount of consideration. Let's move from him to the two guys tied at 10. Uh, Jim Kern is another really interesting candidate. For some people, you might remember him better than uh, I could as he uh, left Cleveland in 78 and I was not born until a few years later. But his run towards the, you know, he debuted at age 25 did a little bit at age 26, and then it was kind of age 27, 28, and 29, and 76, 77, 78, where Jim Kern 
was the closer for those Indians teams. Now, those weren't great teams, but he was great. Uh, there was some wildness. He walked a lot of guys, but he missed bats. Uh, strong ERA pluses. I think the problem, though, with Kern that I really run into is that one stellar year, the head and shoulders above every other year, didn't happen with the Indians. That's the year he finished fourth in the Cy Young, 11th in the MVP, and was an All-Star. And that happened in 79 with the Texas Rangers. And Kern's performance was good, and he had those early years in Cleveland. But like I said, he... He eventually was traded by the Indians, and they got Len uh, with Lavelle Blanks, and they got Len uh, Barker and Bobby Bonds in that deal. But Kern's performance, uh, like I said, the more known for what he did in Texas. Two All-Star games in Cleveland, two strong years. I don't know if it's quite enough to get him in. Let's talk about the other player tied with him in the top 10 for Indian saves, and that's um, Sid Manji. He uh, pitched for the Indians from, let me make sure I get these dates right, 77 through 81, uh, overlapped there with Kern. And when Kern was traded out, he moved into that closer role. And he's another one where it's, it is interesting because 79, he was really good, made the all-star team. Uh, 78, solid, 80, solid. But... I mean, above solidly above average. And then in 81, at age 30, it's things started to fall apart. And that he never really refound it. And then he just bounced around the league the next few years, uh, playing for half a do- what feels like a half a dozen teams, but occasionally making uh, restops with others. He had originally been a California Angel before coming to Cleveland. And, you know, he's a lefty, which is always a nice little bonus. A, a good story. I don't think you can quite make your all-time team, even though it's three years and there is a strong peak. Uh, when you look at someone like Kern, you probably would lean towards him first anyway. But, you know, let's just keep some names in mind. Now, here's someone who, on top of Wickman, taking one of our three spots, has to take one of the spots, and that is Ray Narleski. Ray Narleski was... And it, fascinating case to me from the perspective that he only pitched in the majors for six years from 54 to 59 and was almost entirely early on a reliever cleveland tried to make him a starter and it didn't go well and here's a guy who'd make i laugh because he didn't make he did make two all-star teams and one of those was as a starter which was he was for the 58 indians but that was arguably his, I don't think arguably, that was his worst season in Cleveland. He was just someone who worked best as a reliever. Uh, in 57, he was okay, but it was a down performance. 56 is the, the the big year, and 54 is a rookie. He was the closer on that great 54 Indians, and the he was the closer on the 55 Indians. 56, he has no games started, only saves four. And that year, he is phenomenal. Uh, the 1.52 ERA, uh, 6.4 strikeouts per nine, 2.9 walks per nine, 5.5 hits per nine, uh, just excelled. So you're looking at this as a 25-year-old and 54 through his age 28 year. That gives him four years, really, of strong performance. And you wonder if there could have been more if they'd not tried to make him a starter. But it's a different era, and if you could pitch, you were going to be tried as a starter. So I can't really fault the Indians there. He would get traded to Detroit, um, or end up in Detroit, I should say, for the 59 season. Struggle there, and that would be the end of the line for him. It's always odd to me when you see such a short peak, or just such a short career, because some of those guys who weren't very good somehow managed to bounce around forever in the 50s. 
And Narleski was legitimately good for about four years for the Indians. And even though he was a great closer at the time, because it's a different era, he gets moved out of that role. Uh, ends up still seventh all time on the Indians in saves. Now there's a huge jump between him and Mike Jackson at six. Narleski's at 53. Um, Mike Jackson's at 94. So, you know, different eras again. But I'm I'm slotting him in the Indians all time pen just based on peak and you know the era he pitched in and everything else. So that leaves us one spot. Uh, do we really need to spend time on Joe Borowski? Uh, he was a guy. He was kind of, I think, the, the Wickman follow-up in some ways in my mind. Uh, I don't know if it quite overlapped that way. He did end his career in Cleveland and did lead the league in saves in 2007, but was pretty, I mean, it's kind of crazy. You have a guy who led the league in saves and had an ERA over five. I mean, his FIP was 412. His ERA plus was 89. Like, he was terrible. That Indians team almost made it to the World Series by somehow sticking to a terrible terrible closer i uh, and it, you know that one year is enough to get him pretty high on the list no he's not in consideration moving on steve olin is a to me the case of what could have been uh the era pluses were getting better every year and that 1992 season he was really good out of the pen now he never missed a lot of bats and that number was going down so i don't know how I kind of judge it in that era where you needed to start missing more bats, but uh, and it, his hit rate was never great. So it's, it's an odd combination of data there, but he was effective. And you go through and you look, and there's no doubt his value would have continued to rise. 2.7 uh, B-War in 92 is a phenomenally high number. I don't know if I can put him in um, with that open spot. It's almost like I'd have to replace Narleski. I know we have one more spot open. Uh, so just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. I think someone else we have to talk about, and I've been saving him for last intentionally, is Brian Shaw. I uh, can already hear the boos. Uh, Brian Shaw in five years in Cleveland pitched 358 innings. So you're looking at 70 innings a year over five years, a 311 ERA, uh, three times led the league in games, you know, appearances. His worst ERA plus in Cleveland was a 118. Uh, He was, especially when you look at 2014, 15, 16, those are over 140. His FIP, the worst in Cleveland, was a 4.01. He was always really good there. The home run rate started to, to sneak up on him towards the end, but he always kept his walk rate low, and he was able to miss bats. And there's something to be said for a guy who pitched that many innings and was effective for that long. You know, again, a five-year run in Cleveland, and he was good for all five of those years. Uh, there was not a year that was a particularly bad year. There was not a year that was a particularly, you know, blow the, the doors off year, like when you look at some of the other guys we've talked about on this list. But in something like Relief, where we've had kind of a short window where we're judging this thing, uh, I think you have to put Brian Shaw in just because there's not anyone else I've really talked about where you say five years, they're all good. There was no bad years. Uh, He was reliable. He was consistent. He was solid. He was steady. Brian Shaw should be in your all-time Indians bullpen. Don't at me. I don't care. If you think he was bad, you're wrong. End of story end of story he was not bad he was a really good reliever 
for a long time. If you want to look at something like War, he never had a negative value. And again, War is pretty terrible for judging relievers. But three years above one and another year where he nearly was as well. Uh, all-time Indians pen. Let's let's go for it right now. We talked about Shaw and Narleski today. We also um, talked about Bob Wickman. That's three spots. You add in Cody Allen and Doug Jones. That takes us up to five. Jose Mason and Mike Jackson. That takes us up to seven. That is your seven-man pen. That is your all-time Indians relief squad. That is your all-time Indians team. We are done with that. I hope you've enjoyed it. Friday, we're going to catch up on the virtual baseball. We are going to see if there's any more news to talk about baseball-related. And we're going to kind of do some looking through history again, maybe diving into a draft class, doing something a little bit different as we find things to talk about during this time of social distancing as always you are fantastic i got an update this week that we got another review on itunes thank you so much i really appreciate that thank you tony who left that um we'll also do fun with uh, the geotags i know people enjoy that as well so look forward to friday's show um i hope again thank you all so much for everything you do downloading listening rating reviewing that is huge for a little show like mine I've been Jeff Ellis. You have always been awesome. And as always, go Tribe.